Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, August 27th, 2021. If you could see Drew's face, it kind of is, is carrying a little baggage, and that's because of Drew's crazy dedication to his job. Drew, do you want to tell the nice folks where you've been? Yeah, so on, on Wednesday night, I drove out to Las Vegas and uh, attended CinemaCon on Thursday morning, and then I drove back from Las Vegas. So it was a lot. That is a brutal drive. Yeah. It's five hours, six hours, isn't it? Yeah, at least. I mean, that's that's without traffic. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I remember one year, Star Wars Celebration, this was April 2015, I did Star Wars Celebration at the Anaheim Convention Center, hopped in the rental car, and drove out, and the very next day, that year, CinemaCon was in April. And that was kind of a fun trip, because that was actually the first time I met Dan Z in person. And didn't you just put in an appearance on in Coffee with Kenobi? Yeah, or? Jim, I'll, do, I'll be on anybody's podcast. You know, anything <laughs> anything that you want to talk about, I will talk about. Um, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> but you guys talked about the new Star Wars Visions shorts that are yes. going to be showing up at Disney Plus, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. I was worried that we were going to have enough to-, to talk about because there's only been a trailer that's come out so far. But we did, and I thought it was, you know, it was very nice. Dan is the best, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We're burying the lead here because something truly significant in the, the life of an entertainment writer happened this week and for Drew. And so we have to talk about your story in the New York Times. Right. The paper of record. Right. Come on. How, how did that happen? I was just reached out to by, by an, a wonderful editor named Mikado Murphy. And he said, you know, I was at the Velocicoaster. I saw this Q video. I was wondering if you could write something about Q videos where actors appear as their characters from the property that the ride is based on. So I just did a little sort of history. I got to talk to some really fun people, including our buddy Thierry and, um, you know, Amy Jupiter from from WDI and Peyton Reed, who co-wrote the Back to the Future Q show, which was really the first to feature characters from the attraction because Biff and uh, Doc Brown were in there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to learn about the harsh realities of word count when it comes to print (laughs) material, Jim. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Speaking of which, anything that got cut from the piece that you missed? Um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff about Mm -hmm. the Back to the Future ride and what that Mm -hmm. entailed. And, um, you know, some some great quotes from from Amy, who is, you know, she's very much in the Joe Rohde kind of wheelhouse where she has these very philosophical kind of amazing insights, but they don't Mm. translate necessarily very well to like hard quotes. So, uh, you know, some really fun stuff with her. I'll, I'll try. I'll get you the the first draft, Jim, and you can see. uh, Can't wait. Can't wait. what, uh, What came out of it. But. You know, I when you write for the New York Times, you you wake up in a cold sweat, thinking, "Oh my God!" In 1975, when Star when Space Mountain opened, did it have a Q video? But you know, it, did, it did not. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I was uh, faced with. Uh, well, even with the clipped word current, it's a great, great story. Well, thank and you. And 
just a thrill to see your name in the paper of record, The Grey Lady. That said, though, you were mentioning about Peyton Reed. Have you seen the new making of Mandalorian thing that just dropped yeah, on Disney Plus? It was wonderful. I so enjoyed when Favreau broke it to Peyton Reed about who Plune Koo is right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it just, I got greedy. Didn't they, when they did the first season of The Mandalorian, we got as many behind the scenes things as we got episodes? Yeah, there were a bunch. I think there was one for each episode. Yeah, that was a lot. I mean, I, I would have loved that for this, for this second season, right? I agree. But to get... At least these two, and especially the the one about how they got Hamill on board and how they pulled off young Luke. Did you notice that R two D two was his trimmings were painted green because they were they were doing it against a blue screen? So if his his trimmings were blue like they are in the movies, that you know R two D two would roll out with a bunch of holes uh, through his through his body. <laughs> Thank you for answering that question yeah. i think there's a clip of that footage and it was one of these things where i was looking at it and going oh man my computer screen is cutting out r2d2 is green right all right yeah. cool so that, I, yeah, there's your reason jim he drives to vegas he writes for the extent and he answers your question folks is there anything <laughs> drew taylor can't do so anyway folks we have a lot of news to get to so the news portion of today's fine tuning is brought to you by storybook destinations trusted travel partner of the jim hill media podcast network for a worry-free travel experience please book online at storybookdestinations.com let's start by sort of circling back to a story we talked about on last week's show and we we talked about the you know that supposedly the big face-off for this fall was going to be the Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, and Adam's Family 2 being released on the same day, uh, Friday, October 1st. And then the Delta variant comes along and Sony blinks and they deschedule Hotel Transylvania 4 and then supposedly sell it off to Amazon for $100 million. It, Has there been anything further about that? No, we don't know what the release date is, if it's going to stick to that October 1st release date. I haven't seen any kind of marketing materials or anything in, in addition. Yeah, same so, thing. Yeah, I, I know. know. Okay, so Sony blinks first, but then MGM sort of blinks too, because now we're getting Adam's Family 2 being released to theaters and being available as a premium on-demand offering in the US and Canada on the exact same day, October 1st. Ooh, do you want to tell your story about uh, from CinemaCon about uh, Paw? Oh, yes, yes. They they made a big deal about the numbers for Paw Patrol uh, and how good they were, uh, but that nobody ever mentioned that it was also simultaneously released on Paramount Plus, same day, for free. I, I, I haven't... I, have you watched it yet, Jim? I have not seen it. I, I have not. I have not. I, I have heard from parents who cannot not have paw pals on in their house that it was relatively well done. They were a little disconcerted of a whole the Kim Kardashian, Kardashian thing. Evidently, the this dog had a normal-sized butt. Go figure. <laughs> but on the other hand, it did the business, and once it becomes available you know, on Blu-ray and DVD, played forever and ever and ever. And speaking of things that probably most of us already have, on Blu-ray and DVD. Did you see what happened with the Coraline screening earlier this week? No, not until I just looked here. And, and that is amazing, Jim. Do you want to tell people what happened? 
Remember, Leica is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year, so they're partnering with Tatham and bringing the films that Leica has produced back to theaters for one night only. And Coraline came back into theaters this past Tuesday, and in one night of shows, it grossed $410,000, which made it the seventh highest grossing film for this past week at the domestic box office. It was the second highest per screen average of any film in release and, and only playing on 675 screens. That says a lot about how people feel about the films that Leica makes, especially this time of year with how early the Halloween celebrations start. Coraline's going to start popping up regularly on television again, but people plunked down money. They went back into the sea to see this up on the big screen, which in the middle of a pandemic is pretty impressive. And Well, Jim, not to, not to make you jealous, but sitting mm. on my desk right now are the brand new Leica editions of Coraline and the Box Trolls. So I, uh, I'm going to dig into these. We can talk about it on a later show. Okay, because uh, you know, they were saying as part of this screening, two of the never-before-seen featurettes that are on those discs you have right there were shown to audiences that didn't turn down for this thing. So, damn. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, you know, they have entire storyboard versions of the movie, which is really cool. So you can watch the entire thing. Okay, well, I missed this one, but I am not going to miss Paranorman. Fathom is bringing that back to theaters for one night only on Tuesday, November 16th. So that's well worth checking. Oh, also, we have talked previously on this show about Lupin the Third, the first, the, the CG film. I was over at Fathom checking dates or thing and noticed that on August 29th, the dubbed version of Lupin the Third, the first is going to be shown in theaters. But what's worth noting is on Tuesday, August 31st, which is the day this show will be dropped online, the subtitled version of Lupin the Third, the first will be shown in theaters. So head on over to the Fathom site, plug in your zip code and find out if it's playing locally. Nancy's actually on her laptop right now trying to figure out which of the three theaters that are kind of in our area. We're going to go to see Lupin the Third, the first thing. But thanks to the folks at Fathom and thanks to the folks at G-Kids for making that happen. Yeah, they're awesome. They are. They are. And while we're, you're marking your calendar, debuting on HBO Max on September 30th, the Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs, which is a reimagining of the Flintstones, right? Yeah. I mean, the animation is not sophisticated. I think I might, somebody might have done it in Microsoft Paint, but it, mm -hmm. looks, <laughs> it looks very fun. Um, and yeah, it's just about the kids and Dino, basically. Although you do see Fred in the trailer. You do, you do. But but just, just to stress here, this is a somewhat aged up Pebbles. Uh, in fact, Pebbles is listed as an explorer. Bam Bam is listed as smasher, a smasher and Dino. And if you watch the teaser trailer, they explain that these characters have left Bedrock to go off and explore the crags which is supposedly where wilder dinosaurs, I, I guess the ones that haven't been trained to be garbage disposals or buses, are still living. So, I mean, it, yeah, it looked fun. It didn't look as fun as, say, Jellystone, which was an, another yeah. Hanna-Barbera-inspired show. But, but on the other hand, what does really look fun is Maya and the Three. 
Now, when did that drop? That Tuesday this week or the, the TV yeah, trailer? Yeah, I mean, uh, t- time is a flat circle here, Jim. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is true. Look who I'm asking about. Yeah, yeah I yeah. look like I yeah. wandered out of the <laughs> desert. It looked like I walked home from from Las Vegas. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Maya and the Three is the is a I think it's nine parts mm-hmm. uh, directed yeah. directed by Jorge Gutierrez, who did Book of Life, which we love. And I, I saw him in an interview compare it to Godless, a Netflix series where he said that it was it's really just a movie broken up into chapters, which is really hmm. interesting. I mean, the animation is definitely film quality. Absolutely. In fact, when I was watching the trailer, there, there's so much that reminded me, and I want to say in a good way, about Book of Life, which, again, has been my favorite since it dropped back in October of 2014 from Real Effects and 20th Century Fox Animation. In fact, I was putting together the show notes tonight, and it was one of these things where it's like, wait a minute, that's from 20th Century Fox Animation? It's like, oh, holy crap, does that mean Disney owns Book of Life? And I, I literally stopped what I was doing and ran, ran over to Disney Plus, and sure enough, you type in Book of Life, and it comes up right next to Jungle Book, the three or four different versions that Disney has done. They so, even sell it in a two-pack with Coco on the Disney Movie Club, Jim. So this is, do they really? Yeah, yeah so... Oh, yeah. oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I know what my weekend's like after. In fact, it's so funny as we're talking that you may have heard the bloop in the background. That was Nancy buying the tickets to <laughs> Lupin the Third, the first for Regal Cinema. So there you go. There all you right. Go. Okay. Well, again, you know, Drew gets to all of this cool stuff and Drew gets to see stuff early, which let's talk about Doug Days. Okay. So. You've seen all five episodes? I've seen all five episodes. I absolutely adore this show. It is a series Mm -hmm. of shorts, but it's their actual shorts. Unlike Goofy, they, you know, have story and there's character. They're about, they're between six and 10 minutes long each. Wow. Yeah, which is a good, it's a good amount of real estate for these shorts. Mm -hmm. And obviously Mm -hmm. they're all written and directed by Bob Peterson, who co-wrote and uh, co-directed up. And did mm-hmm. the Forky Asked a Question shorts, which were all like 90 seconds, I feel like. So these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's really great. He gets to play around and and he's the voice of Doug, obviously. Um, yeah. So he's back and Ed Asner is back. And, you know, when I was looking at Ed Asner's, you know, Wikipedia, I, when I was doing my review, I realized this is probably the last time we're going to see... Carl Fredrickson and here Carl Fredrickson as voiced by Ed Asner. He's 91. So there is a little bit of a bittersweet edge to the show and to the last episode. And I am just so excited for people to see it because it really does pack an emotional punch. It's very experimental visually and it's awesome. It's just really, really wonderful. I can't wait. Well, it's, it's so interesting. You, you, you talk about probably the last time we'll, we'll get you know, to hear Edward Asner because I, I forget who did the interview with Bob, but I, I might have been Animation Magazine, but they were talking about how Bob, what he was doing, Doug's voice, it's in the middle of the pandemic. So he's, he's, he's downstairs in his spider-ridden closet, you know, rec- recording this dialogue and trying not to get bit. Whereas Ed, 
they got him early. They got him in February of 2020, just before the pandemic started to shut down the world. But the thing is, they got him into a beautiful, professional recording studio in the lovely village of Toluca Lake. So just just up the street from you, Drew. Yes. I wonder where he was. He could have come into my closet here, Jim, and recorded (laughs) Well, I think Nova, you know, and by the way, didn't we have an international dog day this week? Did, did yeah, you, it was did you yesterday. Special? Okay. Yeah, I, did not I, do did. I ignored the dog. I drove back from Las Vegas and, uh, but she got a lot of cuddles oh. when I got home. I'll say that. Okay. Well, cool. Cool. All right. That works out. All right. Anyway, continuing to talk about Disney plus here. Have you seen the two most recent Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse shorts, Once Upon an Apple, and, and Game Night yet. I have not seen Game Night yet, but oh. I watched Once Upon an Apple, and I thought it oh. was amazing. Well, first of all, to take that character, to take the crone from you know, Snow White from 37, and to to stay on model, I mean, if you, uh, don't get me wrong, they do some really great wild takes, and they do some wonderful slapstick, but 90% of the time, they're on model with her, I mean, her movements, and I mean, that's, that's amazing dedication on the animation team's part, but then married to Tress McNeil's <laughs> version of the old crone, I mean, it just, it's amazing to, to think that that's the same woman who does the voice of Daisy Duck. And isn't that also the same? Doesn't she do Dot for the Animaniacs or? Yes. And she does. She does voices for the. Does she do voices for the Simpsons too? Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes. I, th- I think she's the crazy cat lady. Okay, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and Seymour Skinner's mom. And they've had a great run of them for, for season two. But but Once Upon an Apple on, honestly may be my favorite. Though I, I will say this much. You have to watch Game Night, if only for Donald Duck's fantasy. I don't know if you've seen the footage. I of, saw that actually, clip. I, I could not <laughs> believe it. I could not believe it, Jim. <laughs> no, I, I, same thing. I just, oh, that was so much fun. So much fun. But seriously, folks, go out our way to check that out. And, and while we're talking about the Mickey Mouse shorts, I guess we should mention the news that just broke today about, what, the Aquamouse for the Disney Wish? Oh, yes, I did see this. Yeah. Yeah. Previously, we've talked about how there was going to be, if you, you know, they're they're doing another one of these water roller coasters for the Disney Cruise Line. But the gimmick of this one, it was going to be, instead of the aqueduct, it was going to be the aqua mouse, and it was going to be married to animation from Paul Felix, right? Uh, Paul Ruddish. Paul Ruddish, my mistake. Because they want people to go back to this slide over the course of the cruise, it turns out they can reskin it. And so there are going to be two different, not ride profiles necessarily, but they're going to swap out the media. Yeah, I'm very curious about this, Jim, because the pictures are like people looking at a screen. Whereas if you've been on the aqueduct, you don't really have time to luxuriate and watch something while you're careening around this boat. I, I don't know. It's very, it's pretty interesting to me. I can't wait to see. How it's I agree. enacted, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the two Mickey Mouse short-inspired skins, uh, one is entitled Scuba Scramble, and the other one is called Swiss Meltdown. And the thing is, you you will literally walk up to the Aquamouse, and it's like each day of the cruise, it'll be they'll be swapping back and forth between the profiles. So, by the way, we will be talking more about the mouse on the second half of the show. 
But let's just pause here so you can listen to our advertisers. Since we were just talking about animated series on various subscription streaming services, have we been staying on top of the Star Trek Lower Decks? Yeah, I haven't watched this week's, but but I, I love Star Trek Lower Decks. I think it's fantastic. This one was fun. It was entitled, We'll Always Have Tom Paris, and they actually got Robert Duncan McNeil, the, the gentleman who, who played that character on Star Trek Voyager, to come back and voice the character who was making a goodwill tour on uh, the Sorotis. But the thing I think as a pet owner you would have appreciated, there's the Tannon, the Catanian doctor who's voiced by Jillian Vigman on the show. He's the head of medical, or excuse me, she's the head of medical on the Sorotis. And given this character is just basically a play on Dr. McCoy and the holographic doctor from Voyager, who, remember, we're always somewhat grumpy. And so I, I love the fact that the doctor on the ship is basically is grumpy cat. You know, the face design, you know, right down to the, the commemorative T-shirt and all that. But there's kind of a MacGuffin that drives this show. And, and not to give it away, but any cat owner who's ever had an empty cardboard box on the floor will will appreciate the last, you know, 30 seconds of show of the, this show. But again, that dropped on uh, Thursday of this week, August 26th. And just a day before that, on Wednesday, August 25th, we had season 12 of Archer debut. And which is kind of bittersweet since we lost Jessica Walter, the voice of Mallory Archer, the mother of Sterling Archer and the head of ISIS, which, by the way, <laughs> given that's a kind of problematic now, name, it's now known as the agency. Anyway, we, we lost Jessica back on March 24th. So to have the character back now and to know that this is the last season we'll be able to get, you know, her performance as the character. And Archer's been going for, for quite a bit now. The show debuted on FX back in September 2009. It's now being shown on FXX. Do you watch the show at all, Drew? Or? I haven't, no, Jim. You, are, you're the, you have to, to carry the Archer torch for both of us, because I have not watched it since the very early seasons. They did something really daring. End of season seven, beginning of season eight. And at the end of season seven... The, the Sterling Archer character had been shot in the back and, and floating face down at a pool. And the season ends with him in a bed in a coma. And then for the next three seasons of the show, what they did is every season of the show was Archer in a coma, in a bed, dreaming a season's worth of stories. So... Season eight was Dreamland. It, he dreamed that he was a Hollywood private eye in the 1940s. And then season nine was Danger Island, where he was a cargo pilot having kind of an Indiana Jones adventure, you know, in the South Seas. And then we get up to season 10 and it's 1999 as in space 1999. So it's, it's a space adventure. And so season 10 ends in July of 2019 with Archer waking up in from his coma. And and the thing is that half of the fun of Archer was that Mallory Archer was Sterling Archer's mom plus his boss. And it, it was always the dichotomy of he was a great super ag uh, secret agent, but he was also a screw up of a son. And so, you, you, you know, you just got the sense from Mallory that she was always disappointed and always angry at her son. And so when he comes out of his coma and he's looking around the room, his mom is in the room. 
And given what's in the room, it's clear she's been in there for the full three years. He's in a co- been in a coma watching over. And it was this extraordinary character moment where this seemingly cold of a mom revealed that she really did care for her son and had stood by him this whole time. And anyway, season 11 of Archer begins September of last year. Originally, it was supposed to have debuted in May, but like everything, it got screwed up by the pandemic and didn't debut to the fall. It did well enough out of the gate that the show got picked up uh, for a 12th season in October of last year. And uh, to date, 118 episodes. Well, if you count the two that were shown this week, it's 120 episodes. I wonder if this is going to be the last season of Archer, because it, it's hard to see how this animated series continues without that great back and forth between Sterling Archer and his mom slash Bosch Mallory. And just a quick note here, the uh, voicing the character of Mallory Archer was the longest job Jessica uh, Walter ever had. And after she died, she was honored with her first Emmy nomination for her work in Archer. She previously received four other nominations, but this is the first time ever she was nominated for Outstanding Character Voice Performance, which I really hope she gets recognized for. And the Archer production team has also mentioned that at the end of season 12, there's going to be a tribute to the late Jessica Walter. The show's EP, when talking with Entertainment Tonight mentioned, said, look, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but I believe we're putting together something that, that's touching, and I hope that the viewers will be as equally as touched as we are. We put a lot of heart into it. So seriously, if, if you're, you're looking for something to binge at some point, Drew, circling back on Archer, you know, he's a smartass, you're a smartass, you, you'd get along great. Yes. Well, I was a big fan of Frisky Dingo, the show that predated Archer. Do you remember the oh, show on, on Yeah, oh my God. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I apologize. You, you, you know the root material. Then. Yes. Okay. Well, now, now, speaking of knowing the root material, I have to ask, you spent a number of years inside of Disney working, you know, uh, and, and how in-house did people talk about the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse show for preschoolers? Well, I think at the time it was a pretty big deal. I mean, it was a pretty big priority. I think when I left, they were turning it into, I don't know if it was the racing show or the, I think there's been one more iteration since then, right? There has been. No, thank you for doing that. Because yes, the, the, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, the CG series, that was initially launched on Disney Junior back in May 5th, 2006. And it then continued all the way through November of 2016. They, they produced 125 episodes. And in fact, what's kind of interesting is that the guy, the show was created by Bob Scanaway, who's now, you know, of course we know he's overriding her on the, the Watchers at Work show for Disney+. Plus. But this was one of those juggernauts of a show because it, it had a huge retail program. In fact, we just bought for Nancy's nephew, Abraham, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse playset. His parents are, are not very happy with us because it has a button on it where you can play the, the hot dog theme song, the, the one that they might be giants. And, you know, Abraham loves to hammer on that button. But after 10 years, the feeling was that we need to refresh this. We need to reinvent this. And I want to say that during the same period, they were seeing the sales of Cars merch taper off. And that had been kind of a billion dollar revenue stream for the company. 
So they sort of pivoted and put the sensational six, the, what is it, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, Pluto, Minnie, and Daisy, into race cars and created the Mickey and the Roadster Racers show. Does that sound right? Yeah. Is that the name you remember? Yes, I was very, yeah, we were very, we were very clued into the the cars going on because where where I was, was a division of the consumer products side Mm -hmm. of things. And uh, yeah. Uh, billions and billions of dollars. Speaking of which, Jim, is your Disney store going to survive this next batch of cuts? We were just out today, and I came within inches of driving up to the outlet mall because that's the interesting thing about our Disney store is it isn't necessarily a Disney store. It's a Disney outlet store. So I think in a weird sort of way, what with all of these Disney stores closing, all that merch has to go somewhere. So I think our store became the lifeboat. But I'll have to yeah. go up and, and check that in person with those folks because I'd hate to be like a rude awakening, walk up there and, and find out it's already shuttered. Yeah, I think the only one that's surviving in Southern California is the outlet store at the Citadel Gym, which I don't know there if you've ever visited there, but it is a, I think it is the eighth rung of hell. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, wait a minute! It, isn't the Citadel the former post office? Is this the place where you're driving by in the five and has all of the Egyptian, yes. the faux Egyptian? Oh, yeah. I have to tell you, for years that place fascinated me. And was it a tire factory or was it a post office? I forget. I I don't know. Um, I will I will do a deep dive on the Citadel because it is okay. it is a massive complex. It is. It is. But it, but again, it has that that incredible facing on to the five where it's like the, these faux Egyptian things. And I I think I actually stopped in there once. I just had to. I just had to during one trip coming out of L.A. because they had just reopened it as a shopping center, and I had to see it. And I, I think they had a, a third of it open, and you're right. It was just like, oh, it's a shopping mall. Yeah. You know, oh. Uh, but it was, it was a tire factory, Jim. So next there time you're go. looking at your coach purses, <laughs> think about think about <laughs> sweaty old Bob having a, having a lunch break. Uh. Oh, oh, God. Okay, well, thank you. All right, but but the interesting thing with Roadster Racers, they literally announced that they're going to be reinventing Mickey Mouse Club House in 2016. January of 2017, Mickey and the Roadster Racers debuts. Set in kind of the same place, uh, Hot Dog Hills. Because of the racing gimmick of the show, they can travel to different parts of the world, and it allows them to refresh the show. And Isn't this the one where Jay Leno is like a race announcer or, or oh something like that? Oh, my God. Is he, Jim? I, I have to stay away from Jay Leno. He is just <laughs> such a nightmare. Ever since he did my boy Coco wrong, Jim, I have been coming uh, for it. Well, you read the great uh, book, I'm sure. About I did. I did. Isn't there one more of those coming? Oh, is there? Didn't the author of that book also do the Carson Letterman uh, Leno book as well? Yep, Late Shift. Yep. Yeah. Oh, no, the, the, the great, 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 great books. But the, the, uh, getting back to Mickey and the Roasted Racers, did two th- seasons of the show, got picked up for a third, but uh, evidently it didn't do as well on the retail side of things. So they actually reinvented the show as Mickey Mouse's Mixed Up Adventures, and that debuts in October of 2019. And they keep most of the elements of the show, but the the idea is they kind of move the roadster element to the back. 
Which brings us now to the latest iteration of the show, which is called Mickey Mouse Funhouse, as opposed to Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And what they've done is they've taken the two previous editions of the show, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Mickey Mouse Roadster Racers, and combined the most popular elements. So you have a physical house. It's like a funny the fun house. Who talks? The thing is, funny can transform into a vehicle that can transport the sensational six to anywhere in the world. So it can be a spaceship. It can be a boat. So they get to travel, but they also get the fun house element. Show debuts uh, as a TV special on July 16th of this year, Mickey the Brave. And the actual Mickey Mouse Funhouse series debuts on Disney Junior just last week, August 20th. Basically, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Roadster Racers was designed to, to hook preschoolers to, to introduce them to Mickey, right? To make them bond with the character and, and again, fit in with that Disney Cradle to Grave program, right? Right. Exactly. All right. Well, what's kind of intriguing is the exact same time that Mickey Mouse Funhouse is being launched at Disney Junior, we've also got something very similar going on on the Marvel side of the fence. We've got Marvel Spidey and his amazing friends. And it's scary how much of this playbook that they borrowed. I mean, it's a CG series. The Hot Dog song for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, that, that was recorded by They Might Be Giants, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, what's interesting is for Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends, they got Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy to record the theme song for that one. So again, you've, you've got the hip beat thing going there as well. They're also doing the classic Disney, you use various arms of the company to help promote the project. I mean, just this morning, Good Morning America's on, and here's Ginger Z, the lead meteorologist for the ABC Morning Show. And she's talking up how she's appearing in an upcoming episode of Marvel Spidey and his amazing friends is, you know, talking about the weird weather that's appeared in, uh, you know, Spidey's neighborhood, Green Clouds, which evidently are, uh, you know, the work of the Green Goblin. And what to, what to me is just fascinating about this whole story, Drew, is this is not the first Marvel preschool show. Back in October of 2011, a show debuted called The Superhero Squad Show. It was produced by Film Roman. It was based on a, a ridiculously popular line of action figures that Hasbro had put together. By the way, folks, I got the date here wrong. It debuts in September of 2009. Runs for two seasons and then disappears in October of 2011. And, and why did it disappear? Because of what happened in August of 2009, which was when Disney bought Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. And for Disney's way of thinking, at least at the time, this was a hit show on Cartoon Network with the IP that Disney had just spent billions on. Just the whole notion of the thing we own is getting good ratings for Cartoon Network. No, no, that's not going to happen. So as soon as they could shut it down, and, and there were 52 episodes of this thing debuted, and it, it, it ended with an episode called Final Battle, Nuff Said, but it, it was then off the air, and it really hasn't been seen all that much since. And I think you were pointing out that Drew, that's really kind of a very 2011 way of thinking. Because weren't you pointing out, for example, what is it? The 
Hotel Transylvania, the series that that runs on the Disney Channel, right? Right. Yeah, which is why I thought that I thought Disney Plus had a shot at uh, the streaming rights for Hotel Transylvania Four. Same thing here. Yeah. Same thing here. And just this coming weekend, if you go over to Freeform, they are showing back to back all three of the Pitch Perfect movies this coming weekend. And those were, of course, produced by Universal Pictures. So, you know, I guess these days it honestly doesn't matter. I mean, you know, think about it. You know, here's 2011 and Disney shutting down Superhero Squad Show because, you know, that that helps Cartoon Network. And nowadays it's, I don't care who makes it as long as people watch it or, or they subscribe to the streaming service that has it. Well, what's funny is when you'll be watching TNT or TBS, which run Marvel and Star Wars movies almost nonstop. It's <laughs> uh, so interesting you mentioned that. Just this week, it just seems like Endgame is on every five minutes. And it's well, just I think it's just on once and it's just that long. But, you know, I don't know. But but you'll be watching it and a little thing will pop up in the corner for, like, Suicide Squad on HBO Max. And it's just like, oh, oh yeah, there's, I guess there's some cross-audience cross oh, stuff going I on I didn't here. notice that. Oh, well, now i got to go watch it again. So, Drew and I, we, you know, we don't care about what streaming service you subscribe to. We do care about which podcast you listen to, though. And, and I also, you know, especially given... Uh, Drew's Las Vegas Adventure, the upcoming episodes of... Uh, in fact, didn't you actually manage to record a Light the Fuse over the last 24 hours? Oh, yeah. We got back. We recorded uh, a thing about our trip and about the footage um, because we saw some stuff from Mission Impossible and uh, the first 15 minutes of Top Gun Maverick, which Jim, hold on tight. It is amazing. Um, and we got it up. And it was up actually last night. We got it up early, amazingly. So you can go and listen to that now. And uh, are you able to talk about this stuff? Because I remember seeing the cover coming out of CinemaCon and they were talking about the amazing motorcycle stunt that Cruz does. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We got to see a great behind the scenes thing of that. And then a bunch of sort of little snippets from the movie. But yeah, I mean, the motorcycle stunt they described as the. the biggest action stunt in cinema history. I read something in effect. He trained for a year to be able to do this. He trained right? for a year. Hold on. I'm going to get my stats up, Jim. I think I still mm-hmm. have them here. Um, okay. Yeah. He trained for a year. He did 13,000 13, motocross jumps. He did 30 <sighs> jumps a day and he did mm-hmm. 500 skydives because he had to learn how his body was going to fall down this canyon. And, and I mean, he, he goes down so far, Jim, that people were mm-hmm. holding their breath and he go, keeps going, he <laughs> keeps going and the parachute opens up and you just see Christopher McQuarrie and everybody on the team just sort of breathe a sigh of relief because, uh, yeah, it was also the first thing they shot. So I guess if you didn't come oh. out of it, <laughs> there would be no movie. <laughs> Oh, okay. yeah. well, seriously, folks, these are the sorts of stories you can only get if you listen to Light the Fuse. So uh, this is a show, a podcast you really should be listening to. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, we have podcasts here you should be listening to, too. We uh, we got the mothership, you know, Disney Dish with Len Testa. We got Marvelous Disney, which, by the way, Aaron Adams and I will be changing to a weekly series, God help us, on September 10th. Um 
tell you what, folks, if you could do a Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the not only the show you're listening to right now, but of you know, fine tuning, but also light the fuse, which again, this next episode sounds killer. But seriously, you need to be following Drew on social media. And how can folks do that, Drew? Uh, you can follow me at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram and Twitter. And, um, you know, you can reach out to us, too. We had a lot of great comments about last week's episode. So please reach out and let us know what you want to hear or what stories you want us to tell. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great, great avenue. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you for for telling us that you liked the last week's episode. That was that was great to hear. That was fun. That was fun. So uh, speaking of social media, uh, Nancy would like me to remind you folks, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. So that's going to do it for now. And thanks again.